Welcome to the Hardy Mom Podcast. My mom has tips and tricks to help you live well with health challenges. She'll even tell you how to get your kids to help out. Wait, what? Your health challenged, girl, I get it. Feeling anxious, depressed, don't you sweat it? Hey, DJ. Oh, Jen, I'm just, I'm, thank you for the invitation. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. You have got information that people have been asking me for for years, and I didn't know who to ask. So now we can ask you. Oh, oh, I'm honored. Thank you. So do you want to tell everybody um, what you have done in your recent past work life? Sure. Yeah, a little bit about myself. Well, we met at PodFest, and we were just hanging out and chit-chatting and just talking about life and very nonchalant things, but we, I shared that I talked about mental health disability and trauma when I opened that up. And when we met there, I told you that we were, I had been streaming for about two years now on this topic and it really piqued your interest and you were like, Oh, okay. And then we just started talking, but I mean, I've just been absolutely loving being an advocate for disability, being an advocate for people with different challenges, different things that happen in our lives. And oftentimes it's overlooked. It's put aside. It's something that we're not supposed to talk about or now's not the time. And there's always things that tend to be more important that have, you know, a lot of responsibility that pull our attention, but oftentimes we cannot go through the day without, you know, really taking care of ourselves and having the impacts of any chronic illness or disability affect us in those decisions and in our day to day. So I, the last 20 years I've been working in social services, I've worked in the mental health field, got my bachelor's in psychology. I pursued grad school for mental health counseling. Then um, just kind of spent a few years working with kids, uh, adults, I should say, kids and adults in a group home, intellectual disabilities, cognitive disabilities. I've worked for the state with children in the system that have been removed from the care of their parents and parents that have to overcome a lot of services, a lot of challenges, and participate in services to be able to get their kids back. And most recently, it's been working with individuals that have the disabilities but are trying to re-enter the workforce, have had to, you know, excuse themselves, leave, have that time um, to take care of themselves. And it's oftentimes, like, super scary. And it's, you know, and this is just always, like, one of those time periods that's really sensitive for people, right? Whether you're, if you're not working, financial stress can be a big one, food scarcity, just uh, all kinds of things, right? Medication prices. I mean, you name it, there's always just so much going on. And I've had, I've had a really good life being able to work with so many different individuals and hear so many stories. And now I get a chance to highlight those stories on my own show. And why, you know, I, really just feel it's important that people have an opportunity to share their experiences so people know that they're not alone and really create the community, but also resources and hope. We all know how important hope is. (laughs) Those are definitely things that everybody needs. If people want to watch you streaming, where could they find you? So I stream Monday nights. I love Mondays because it's beginning of the week. For me, I was working at the time. It was a passion project. I had the weekend to kind of work on this and give it my all. But I stream Monday night, 630. I'm at YouTube. I'm on Twitch. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And it's called 
Let Your Mayhem Be Known. But, okay. And I'll yeah. have a link to that in the show. Yeah, notes, yeah. Too. People can find me through Silver Fox Talks. It's usually the handle I use for any channel. So if they're just searching Silver Fox Talks, they can also find my website. It's on there too. Perfect. Okay. That's great. Because I think that people are going to definitely want to reach out to you. Okay. So you had um, some things that you were thinking about talking about. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah. What would you like to, sh- what are some great tips you can share? Well, I just, for me, when we met at PodFest and what got me to PodFest was really this passion I have for advocacy and really, again, taking those stories that I've heard for years in private, all these personal experiences that you hear them so frequently enough and you see people going through these emotions, these uh, this part, these journeys in their life where, you know, they can be very lonely. It can be extremely scary, fearful. You don't know what the future holds. It's just so much. And for me to be in those situations and try to do whatever I can to alleviate some of that pressure, guide, mentor in any way, coach oftentimes individuals through those like the ups and downs as they're processing these medical issues, trying to find employment, trying to find food, housing. Housing can always be such a a scary thing if you don't have steady income and then trying to maintain housing and how oftentimes all these systems really are intricately, uh, you know, together, right? Because if you're someone on disability, at some point, you're going to be encouraged to apply for disability. You're going to need that support, that financial, if you qualify. um, And that's a whole nother story. We could talk about different kinds of benefits that people can apply for. But So what are the two different kinds of, um, in the U.S., two different kinds of disability? So in the U.S., we tend to think of social so, social security disability, uh, which is the insurance part, the disability uh, insurance, which is SSDI. That usually comes from an individual that's been working and has been able to make certain uh, 40 credit hours, I believe, is what social security mm-hmm. administration requires in order for you to be able to collect back on that disability insurance if something happens to you further on in your life where you need to be on disability. The other option is uh, supplemental social, what is it? Uh, it's SSI, right? It's SSI, right. But it's, um, but it is supplemental and it is based on income. It is really more for those individuals that may not have never have worked that have very low, low income and, um, they may get state benefits, but they can also qualify for federal benefits because of their disability and, or their situation, their personal situation. But that is more for uh, the lower income side when SSDI is more for someone that's worked and be able to collect benefits that they had already put into through employment taxes. What can someone do if they're denied the first time and they legitimately should be getting it? Right. Great question. And you're right. It happens more often than not. Denial is almost a common part of the process, unfortunately. And I know that there are a few things people can kind of start to do. And I would, first, I would say, making sure that you have all your medical documents, you've kind of thought about everywhere, you tracking all those medical records, making sure you have all the medical evidence, um, anything that you've submitted to social security, if there has something that you haven't, that maybe you forgot, oh, I saw this doctor once or oh, 
you know, you always want to try to gather extra medical evidence and continue to work on your case. I know the appeal process is there and available. So entering an appeal, if you're within the timeframes, I'm not really familiar on those timeframes, but I'm sure any document that you receive for in the case of you've been denied for social security, you would be able to appeal it. And then if not, then at some point reapplying, right? I mean, there's always that reapply, reapply, reapply. Um, but in even in between that, right, it's gathering those documentations, getting the doc, uh, speaking to other professionals, getting your testimonials of what you've been through. You have to make the strongest case possible for yourself or for your pers- the person that you were uh, assisting, I guess, in that case. But I mean, in your case, it's you. Um, but even if it's a loved one or if you're caregiving for someone and you're in that role, it's really important that, um, you know, you're, you know, it, they say paper trail, right? You document, right. document, document, and making sure that you are providing as much evidence in your case to apply for those benefits because the, the government will, you know, I mean, it's, it's a system. It's a government yeah. system. And my, my personal advice, because so I didn't fight it then. But now yeah. I don't have anywhere near the 40 points because I couldn't work. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've worked one and a half years since 1993 because I just couldn't. And so now I don't qualify because I don't have the points, which is crazy. Yeah. If you were to look at my medical record, there's no way I wouldn't. So if someone's listening, yeah. I would just say, if you get denied, fight it. And even if fight you it. end up having to pay an attorney, you think, oh, I hate to pay 20% of what I get, but it, but you getting 80 is better than you getting zero because that's what you're going to get if you just let it go. Right. Start yeah. the process. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't delay. Don't wait. Oh, it's going to take forever to get the documents. I mean, just one step at just a time, a little bit yeah. day by day, or uh, put some time aside every week to just gather your thoughts and gather, check progress, and do it for yourself. Because if not, the time is going to go by. Social security is not going to be there to help you provide that for you um, and make sure that you're taking care of it. You have to take care of it. So it's really, you know, pen, paper, whatever works for you to keep track of that and and continue that, even though it can be very exhausting and very, like personally, it really feels you, makes you feel defeated when you're in such need. And then there's that state of desperation that starts to build. So you're looking for who your advocates or your liaisons are that can check on that paperwork and having, you know, a list of who is part of your resources, who is in that support system. Because again, between just you and the government. So you want to have multiple people. It's better to have multiple people that you can go to. Even for me, when I working um, in the local state office, you can go to your local office and employment office, or um, I think, you know, community offices where they have food stamps, where they would be able to give you those kinds of resources on who's someone that you can talk to that can guide you to perhaps um, someone that's in the legal department that works with those kinds of cases that does pro bono work. Or uh, I think like mid Florida, they have to have attorneys that may be able to look at a case and let you know if it's something that, you know, they can't help with that or something that they can, or again, you know, taking the route of hiring a private attorney to really do the bulk of the work. And I mean, we all know that that's not always possible for everyone, but it's just trying to think of who in your community or in those offices may have an answer or may have a resource to get you closer to 
putting that puzzle together. And those are a lot of great ideas. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much. See, it's amazing. Groups. I think now there's more support groups. There's networking groups and whatever social media platform you engage in, maybe however you socialize that you can find that you've been socializing, just continuing, right? We find those rabbit holes that we all go down. But something I've always talked about when it comes to employment side and seeking employment as you're transitioning to return to the workforce is disclosure, right? Disclosing we have this condition or we need this accommodation, right? The accommodation piece. Do Do they do that after they're hired or do they need to do that during the hiring process? How does that work? Okay. This is a great question. And this is a whole episode in itself. <laughs> we might so, have to go back and revisit, you know, walking through it, but yeah, generally, generally, you don't have so, to say it up front, right? Because no, HIPAA? no rule it. So rule it. Okay. So disclosure is just what it is. It's you disclosing some personal information. Number one, you only disclose what's absolutely necessary and related to that job. The biggest mistake that I have found with coaching individuals is that they approach a job interview or that job conversation, even when you're peaking on interest, if you're a good fit, is you go in there almost talking to them like you're talking to your doctor. Because you tend to say, well, I, you know, you, that's where you've been for so long, right? You've been in those doctor's offices. Right. You have to speak in a way where the doctor's going to understand what's wrong with you. So then you carry that over to this employment opportunity. And that's not the way to approach that. That's not the same way. You don't have the, that conversation that's good advice. quite the same way. Right. So that's something I found is that it's just so easy to say what's wrong with you because you say what's wrong with you to your doctor. But when you're out in public or you're trying to obtain an opportunity, you're not there to tell them what's wrong with you. Even though at that point, there's a point where you're going to have to disclose. So that's where disclosure is really sensitive. It's personal and it doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be in depth. It's the opposite of what you're trying to do with social security, right? On social security, you're trying to let them know everything because they need to approve you. But when you're going to a job, it's the opposite. It's like, they don't need to know everything. They only need to know what is applicable to you not being able to complete that required duty of that job. And that's what leads the conversation to accommodations and knowing what those accommodations are. So that's why this turns into a whole nother episode as we talk about disclosure and what disclosure is to us and how to approach that and where in the process of employment, whether it's up front on the hiring, when you're submitting your resume and your cover letter. And again, that's to answer your question, it's personal. Some people have an obvious disability physically. Some people don't have an invisible disability that's not obvious. Some people choose to be very open and upfront about their disability. Some people choose to not share ever a word about it and try to really manage it the best that they can. So again, disclosure really is such a personal thing, but it it's a delicate and sensitive time as well. And so that's for me, I found so much joy in helping people understand that piece right there. It's like, okay, when you're going to go for a job or when you're, when you're, trying to advocate for yourself for anything, anything. It's like you want to let them know, but you just don't want to tell them everything. 
and and you really don't have to and you shouldn't so well it's kind of like a first date right you go on a first date you don't tell them everything you've ever done in your whole path Right. right, because you're going to scare people off. I used to have a little sign in my kitchen because I oh. used to overshare everything, and it said, "A closed mouth gathers no foot." And so, you know, because just okay. you share what you need to share, but share then stop. You, you just sh- stop because, you know, and even I think even if the person interviewing you is really like your best friend and they're open, you think, "Oh my gosh, we would be best friends forever." That's their job to be like that, though. That's a good point. It really is. And not even with a job interview, I think with everything. In that sense, you know, it's been, it's been such an honor working with individuals and helping individuals with these like stories and these experiences and, and everyone really is so different. I mean, I'm sure you've heard so many stories in your podcast (laughs) as people come through and, you know, the journey is different for everyone. And and really, you are your own best advocate. You are, you know yourself or the situation the best, and you can only do so much. And and then really, it's about building a support system because nobody can do do it alone. You shouldn't have to do it alone. And and for me, that again goes back to my show and tying that live stream. Like, it's important that people know that they're not alone. There's resources out there, and yes, it takes energy. It does take energy and it can be exhausting and that's absolutely valid. Um, but we don't want anybody to give up hope and we want to help individuals, right? Like we want to be the, we the do, we want to be positive in the sense where we're doing what we can, but it's not that toxic positivity. We're still being right. realistic in the sense of, you know, but again, it's not to stay in the darkness either, right? It's really trying to exactly. find light in your life and move forward. Um, something I wanted to talk about is children, because I'm sure, you know, as moms, and I'm a mom um, of two children, and children with needs that, you know, as caregivers, as parents, and it's not just ourselves, or if it's ourselves and our child, or if it's our spouse or our partner, Um you know, and then what if we're taking care of a parent or somebody else? I mean, it just really can. Right. I think the times that we live in, it's more common to have a lot of those households right now where more generational generations are in one household. I think with the pandemic really has um, amplified that, I think. And and take like the isolation where everyone's in one home and isolated, but there's more people. I mean, just with the job loss, everything that has happened the last couple of years. Um, it's just been interesting to see how society has continued to like what we continue to do, right? How we continue to like find our way right. and fight our way, and how for me, it's what can I do to help our fellow society, help our fellow community. So I can talk about what I know and I can hopefully inspire someone to say, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. Let me go to this local office or, oh, you know what? Somebody right. mentioned something at my church about knowing somebody that helped her understand this part of the process or advocate on this or get some extra resource on that or an attorney that's really great <clears throat> this kind of like understanding when it comes to so I just think that the more we talk about it right it becomes more oh okay this is kind of normal this is okay I'm not the only one and so it keeps my my fire burning I think for me and it is really is about 
sharing information for people to have options, options, options. I think for me, that creates accessibility. And that's something I did talk about PodFest is it's so hard for someone with a disability, not able to access information, not able to access what they need, whether it's virtually or even physically, right? And we talk about physical uh, disabilities when people can't you you know get to where they need to whether they have a mobile chair a wheelchair um different types of um what do we call it accessibility uh, uh yeah the brain just my brain just messed brain up okay. uh, but that's okay, I can edit that but, part out. That's okay. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just goes to show that with the pandemic's really shown all these hindrances and all these difficulties for individuals. And now that we are more isolated, we do depend more on virtual communication. We do depend more on even telehealth appointments are just that much more common now. I went to the VA and they're like, oh, would you mind a telehealth, a teleconference video appointment? Not at all. It's normal now, right? So it's really, it's nice that we can have these conversations. We can encourage people to become familiar with their options and to know that they're not alone and people can build communities. I can build a community. You can build a community. This might inspire somebody else to say, I could do that. I can have these talks. I can build a community. More communities we build where we're really supporting individuals with these types of situations. It And it doesn't matter your background, your ethnicity in the sense of, um, the community, right? Like we want to include everyone. We want to individuals to really, what can we do? How can I, for me, it's like, what can I do? What more can I do to get the information that they need or having them access what they need so they can make the best decision for themselves? Yeah, that's awesome. You are awesome. I just love it. I love all your information. Oh my goodness. Sorry if I ramble a little bit. No, we we could have a whole, but that's good because then you're getting so many different things out. We could have a whole series. We really could. We really might. Yeah, no, there's, it's, Um, there's a lot. There's so much there and it's just not, no one knows. Like you said, I I haven't really met anybody that knows about this or I get so many questions, but you know, there's not just a lot of information out there. So hopefully more people with experience of these experiences can share them. And, and and it doesn't look so taboo and it doesn't seem so shaming. That damn shame that society puts on us. Oh my gosh, so much shame. Yeah. So if, if somebody had a question and they were like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. Could they reach out to you and ask you? Of course. Sure. Um, I'm available. I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is one of my favorite platforms. You can connect okay. with me there. My I'll website. Have a link in the show notes. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, and my website, silverfoxtalks.com. Keep it simple. It, so, Google search it or put it in any social media, Silver Fox Talks. It should populate my channel, but I'm on all, on there and I'm, I love to talk to people. Obviously I love to talk. <laughs> And I love to advocate and I love to answer questions and encourage people in any way I can. I love it. Um, And then we were going to talk about, um, I know you talk a lot about difficult conversations, people having difficult conversations. And there's a lot of things that people with uh, chronic illnesses and different health challenges need to talk about, but don't want to talk about because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. 
And do you have, I know um, our time is running short, but do you have any, um, I don't know, easy ways or helpful ways to approach those conversations? Hmm. Sure. I think curiosity, be curious. Curiosity is a good thing. It's okay to ask questions. I think that being mindful of your language is always nice to consider being approaching things in a compassionate and non non judgmental way if you're going to ask questions if you're going to support someone if you want to help someone giving them the autonomy to respond to answer to engage giving them the power to make that choice first and not assuming that we have to make, as a caregiver, right, we want to make all the decisions, we need to make the decision quick, we need to hurry up, we got to let them know, we got to move on, like, there's always something, but, you know, when we're dealing with our loved ones, and someone with a disability, or we're working, or we're coaching, or we're processing, or we have a client, it's, it's always better to lead with that, and for me, it's always, you know, how can we teach empathy, as we move into these conversations and with curiosity, curiosity and empathy and compassion. That's awesome. That's really good. I like that. And I think, you know, asking people, you know, is it okay if we talk about this? Yeah. And some things we have to talk about anyway. I know when I was really sick, my doctor thought I was going to die and we had to make plans. And my husband was like, Nope, we're not talking about it. We're not making the plans, but you, you have to make the plans. And I think, I mean, every mother should, and my parents should have, plans in case something happened because otherwise the government decides you know so even I said you know even if I'm not sick you know there's things happen we need to plan it and sometimes you just need to you know set that time aside or you know so with us I just said okay we're going to talk about this over the weekend so you can prepare now I will say this I think that with chronic illnesses becoming more um, like diagnoses, you're getting diagnosed younger and younger. And as we see what's going on with the world around us, whether it's plastics found in our blood or these chemicals that are very toxic that we've been consuming for all this time. And these corporations continue to say, no, they're not toxic. They're fine. They don't hurt you. I think we have to do our best to absolutely protect ourselves and protect our loved ones and continue to have these conversations and advocate for one another and know that um, it, it's okay to be scared, but it is important, you know, to share and, and to know that you're not alone. Goodness, you're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. No matter what you're going through, even if you feel like nobody ever would have felt that way. And that it can change. Yeah. yeah. Like, meaning like, if you have something that's terminal, you know, my heart goes to you. But if, if you're healthy, just know that anything can change that you, you know, because it's, I've seen it, you know, we've seen it. And, and it, when people don't see the, fragility the fragility of life and they take it for granted and but. I don't think you appreciate it as if you don't see that yeah I, so what, yeah. there's a I have an episode where there was Ooh. a woman with stage four cancer that talked about yeah. telling your kids that you have a terminal illness and how to do that 
because mm-hmm. I, I felt like that was really important. And so I had it two is. people that year that both had stage four cancer. And mm-hmm. one said, I'm going to live for my son. I'm going to live, you know, and not that you can will yourself through it, but she did, you know, but she knew she was going to make it. And then the one who came on our show and talked about telling your kids she passed away and it was, oh, I just, you know, it pains me, but I know that she had all those conversations, right? She got to talk to her kids and tell them all the things and they got to be open with her. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, even though I'm sure that it wasn't comfortable, you know, at all, but they have the peace of knowing that they all got to say what needed to be said. And there's, I think everybody needs to do that. Not just when you think that you might die, but in general, you know, general. you shouldn't wait for somebody's funeral to let them know you actually cared about them, you know? Right. So, That's right. Yeah. So I look forward to listening to more. I've, I listened to one of your shows about uncomfortable conversations and it was really interesting. So Thanks. I can't wait to hear more. And I really appreciate you coming on today. You are awesome. And I will mm-hmm. definitely, I think, have you back and we can dive deep into even just one of these things. We'll have to find out what, if you, if you're listening and you, there's something you want to hear more from DJ about, let me know because I would love to talk about it. I'd be Thank curious you again. Too. I appreciate it. Thank you. With the Hardy Mom Podcast. Yeah, I'm here for you. Tips and tricks here. That will help you. There's advice from experts and interviews. Find time to be with your kids and family. I can help you get it done easily. So premenopausal or postpartum, all stages of womanhood, girl, we've got them. I've been there, I've done that too. With a Hardy Mom podcast, yeah, I'm here for you.